Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 353rd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's been remastered more times than Dominaria. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Derek the Dark Mage at Oko Assassin on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hey everyone, good to see you again in the perennial preview season. Got some more amazing cards to look at today, but before we dive into those developments, let me just remind listeners that the show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Derek, what is on our agenda this week? Well, James, we have our usual four segments. We're going to kick this on, kick things off with segment one, our MTGO Metagame Week in Review. After that, we're going to move on to segment two, where we talk about our top movers of the week and discuss why we think these cards saw significant gains. Then we're on to segment three, our cards to watch, where we share what cards we have our eyes on at the moment. And finally, we're going to wrap things up with segment four, our topics of the week. And this week, we're going to talk about the very large, exciting uh, super drop for the secret layer that was revealed, as well as the Dominaria Remastered set, uh, which had a lot of big cards, uh, some of which were a little bit of a surprise to me. Look forward to discussing those. But uh, before we jump into that, why don't we move on to our MTGO Metagame Weekend Review. What's on the list, James? Kicking off this week, we've got the Modern Showcase Challenge from December 3rd of uh, this past Saturday. This one was won by Eldrazitron. Uh, notice that they're using three times inscribed tablet. That's pretty interesting. There was a blue-red Murktide list in second, black-red Scam in third, Charbelcher, probably the most notable uh, contender of the week, in fourth, Hammer Time in fifth, Black Red Scam again in sixth, and then finishing up the top eight was two Blue Red Breach decks in seventh and eighth. Uh, I noticed that the MTGO decklist site is back to not listing things in the proper order. <laughs> yeah, they got to get a handle on that. <laughs> uh, we should pro- probably call out the guy on, on Twitter that is putting these in the proper top eight all the time. You can find Robert Taylor at Fireshoes on Twitter, and he's been pretty good lately about getting the top eights properly organized. Really would love to see uh, the official site get that correct so that people are not confused. Yep, but otherwise it was a pretty relatively standard week the, with the Adrazio Bontron being an exception. Uh, I did see there was three different decks with four copies of Expressive Iteration, so seeing a little bit more of that card than Maybe some normal weeks, but generally seemed like pretty pretty straightforward modern top eight. Over in Pioneer, we had Lotus Field in first, Green Red Mid Range in second, Black Red Mid Range in third, notably running three Misery Shadow. We've got Bant Spirits, that's uh, Blue White Spirits with four Collected Company in fourth. Fifth place was a mono green list, which is not unusual for this format at all, but it do- does grab me that this deck is running three times Mightstone and Weakstone with no Urza to meld it with. Yeah, I was surprised by that as well. Um, you know, it's a value card for sure, and 
but it to have it not go with anything just basically being able to get the uh draw two or kill something and then i'm assuming they use the artifact mana on what karn playing things off of karn wishboard it's interesting i'll be curious if it lasts it's the only one in the the pioneer uh, showcase that had that in the top 32 so i'll be curious to see if that catches on and that was two in the main and one in the board because, of course, yep. they can, as an artifact, they can use this as part of their wishboard with Karn. Even more crazy in that deck, they're running a single copy of Nicol Bolas Dragon God. Yeah, we've seen that uh, throughout iterations. They kind of come and go. They're able to easily play that with the enchantment that allows you to play Planeswalkers for, um, you know, as if they were colorless, essentially. So it's pretty easy to slip in there, especially as a one of if you draw it. It's not too harmful but it can be uh, backbreaking if they put it on the board and just keep uh you know working its magic blue red phoenix in sixth and then the two most interesting lists of the week are for sure uh the seventh and eighth place list this was yorion enigmatic incarnation so yet another incarnation of yorion builds this one has 13 creatures 32 enchantments and 33 lands uh, almost all of which, of course, have comes into play abilities that are friendly with Yorion's blink ability. Yeah, Enigmatic Incarnation. So for those that don't know, which why would you unless you've actually played against the deck? It is a blue, green, two colorless at the beginning. Uh, it's an enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, you may sacrifice another enchantment. If you do, search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost uh, equal to one plus the sacrifices uh, enchantments mana cost and put it into the battlefield so basically you're playing a bunch of enchantments that have some etb then you're sacking them to go get your um kind of wishboard out for creatures ranging from you know just answers like knight of autumn skyclave apparition other things like that just to you know eliminate your opponent's threats and then having your top end be things like uh coma cosmos serpent which where else would you see this coming into play and just dominating if it gets one turn to build out its little army of serpents so i played with this deck a little bit it's great as a value build uh, but it can get run over pretty easily and so um, i think this is one where this specific top eight seemed to be you know a little bit of aggro but not as much as maybe we've seen in the past so i think that helped it a little bit uh, but we've seen this deck around for a couple months, I'd say, floating around in the top 32s, but not really as much in the top eight. So maybe it'll catch on now that it's seen the top eight spotlight. And of course, the eighth place deck was yet another Yorion brew. This one it looks much more like Jeskai Yorion Control. Four creatures here, featuring a Hullbreaker Horror and three Torrential Gear Hulk. The enchantments are fairly similar. You've got two, the Akroan War, four Fable of the Mirror Breaker, three Shark Typhoon, and an Omen of the Sea, and then 32 Instants and four Indomitable Creativity. So they've got that angle going as well. So what's the Akroan War doing here? But I assume it's here to steal and then get rid of with Indomitable Creativity and go get your Hullbreaker Horror. Sure, I can see that. Because the whole, the whole, the whole, the whole tension that people need to understand about creativity is that you don't want to have mid-range creatures in your deck that say creature as the type because your creativity will hit them. 
So you want to make sure that you're generating tokens most of the time in the modern strategies around creativity so that you can then go get Archon of Cruelty or whatever. In this case, they're willing to hit Hullbreaker Horror of Trenchic Gear Hulk, and sometimes they're doing that off of Shark Typhoon tokens or Fable of the Mirror Breaker tokens, but they might also be doing it off of uh, things they stole from other people with the Akroan War. Yeah. Okay. And I guess I, I, I never actually read the card, uh, <laughs> but our saga stage three is each tapped creature deals damage to itself equal to its power. So sometimes I guess you're stealing, getting a swing in and, and then creativity and, and then other times you're um, just hopefully letting it kill itself as long as its toughness is not more than its power. So still value there, obviously. First time I've seen a list anything like this in the format, so very interesting. Yep, I have not seen this before either. Moving on over to Top Paper Movers of the Week. This list is extremely dominated <laughs> by the Secret Layer Advent Calendar cards, including multiple of our recent picks. And I'm having a hard try- time believing that vendors, speculators, alongside players, are not applying the majority of the pressure here. I think people see this as a very popular sexy list of cards that has relatively contained supply not overall but versus demand and as such the vendors and finance types are going in hard here we see lots of evidence of this across the board death right shaman borderless secret layer going 8 to 12 that's 50 percent gains i selected the foil death rights last week and the call was to go 19 to 40 and indeed we've gone 20 to 45 so that's a one week turnaround of 100 percent plus for those were, those that were listening last week and picked up on it we've got shark typhoon borderless that was my pick two weeks ago when i said it would maybe we could get it at seven or eight but really it ever only ever got down to nine or ten now they're 30 dollars going on 50 so 67 percent gains there we've got elspeth sun's champion borderless 11 to 18, 63% gains. Glimpse of Nature, 8 to 14. Heritage Druid, 5 to 9. It's a big Elves card targeted, of course, on this supply, perceived supply weakness versus demand. We've also got the Birthing Pod Borderless going 9 to 18 for a double up. We've got the Arclight Phoenix Borderless that was talked about in the Discord. 12 to 28 for the non-foils there. It's a popular Pioneer 4 of that also sometimes shows up in Modern. And then the Sun Titan Borderless foils that you chose next week, uh, you said they would go 9 to 20, and they indeed have gone 9 to 27 already. So nice. <laughs> did, we did pretty good last week, but I don't think it was all that hard given the current circumstances around this drop. Now, uh, don't get greedy here, folks. If, if you can sell into these kinds of numbers this quickly, you just go ahead and do that. And if you're sitting on sealed units thinking you might just sell them next year, Yeah, that might work out. These might be very expensive next year, given where the singles are headed to. But there's also a chance that supply backfills. Keep in mind that the European vendors that bought copies are just now starting to get their units. And there are probably lots of other people who haven't cracked and looked at reselling their copies. So I very much like getting out while the getting is good. And if there's you're leaving extra money on the table, so be it. Yeah, especially things like Shark Typhoon going to close to 50 seems absurd so i would be exiting that asap whereas something like 
you know, death right going from eight to 12, not a, not a biggie, right? I mean, that's, it's a little bump, but, uh, not something crazy where I think it means you gotta just run to the exits. The foils surprise me less than the non-foils being on the move, but I think once the people see foils drag up, they often turn their attention to getting lower-priced versions of the same card, thinking that it's the popularity of the card that will keep, will push the non-foil version up behind it. I'm not convinced that that's as easy to do here, given the ratio between foils and non-foils. So I would be more confident holding the foils longer term than the non-foils, but just in general, as I said, I'm I'm all about selling here while, while the selling is good. My copies are over in Europe, and I will certainly look, be looking to get them shipped over my way as quickly as possible. Yep. I, I, you know, Exit. These days, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about it later, but with so many reprints coming out of the pipeline, I think generally I've started to shift my mentality to take the money when the money's there, get the getting what is good, and get out because you never know what's around the corner sometimes. Yep. I think generally I agree. So... In terms of things that were not in the advent calendar that are still on the move, we've got Haywire Might Foils at a Bro. This is just an uncommon one of four or five that I flagged in the Discord as things that are seeing enough multi-format testing and EDH usage that they are likely to do well. And Haywire Might has gone four to six, which is not a huge huge deal. You're not going to easily make money on that. But there were some people that got in even lower um, during opening weekend. And what's CK buy list like on these yet? I would guess that they have not yet caught up that hard to get your hands on an imprint uncommon from the most recent standard set. Yeah, they're only buying non-foils at 90 cents cash. So uh, It's pretty solid, though. I bet you could get it on those pretty cheap opening weekend. Yeah, I'm sure somebody's going to tell us that they got them at 38 cents and flipped them for a dollar. I had a funny thing where I had bought one of the other key uncommons third path iconoclast from them at i think it was 49 or 56 cents or something like that and then they were offering over a dollar a week later on them so i shipped them in alongside oh no i they were supposed to ship them to me but they were supposed to ship them to me with a beta mana barbs that they had listed as ex and as is very recommended in those circumstances you always want to make sure you ask the vendor for photos if they haven't posted any already and CK sent me photos of the mana barbs. It was way closer to HP uh, than it was LP or even MP. So I declined on the mana barbs, and they canceled the whole order. <laughs> yeah. So then my then my third path iconoclast weren't coming, and I said, "Wait, wait, wait a second. Um, I'm I'm gonna need need those in the mail." And they said, "Well, we've already sold those, so we'll just give you credit for our buy list on them." <laughs> like, oh well, that just skips a step. That's perfectly fine too. <laughs> right there, you go. Not bad. Not bad. Uh, so sometimes you just get dumb lucky. Uh, Brotherhood's End is a card somebody tried to throw at us for a cards to watch pick a few weeks back. And I said to them, I don't think this is likely to succeed in a in short or midterm because sweepers rarely do. And this is probably going to get cheaper before it gets more expensive. But I was totally wrong. I don't know if this is because it's been heavily targeted or what. It's not seeing all that much play in EDH at all. However, it is seeing a smattering of play in Standard, Pioneer, Modern, and Legacy because it is both a sweeper and an artifact destroyer. And so we've seen regular copies go 5 to $9, very impressive for a standard set rare. Extended arts from the collector boosters going 550 to $10, so right just, just about in line with the regular copies. And even the foils have, have seen some run-up as well. So 
an argument can be made that this in across the formats in question this is even better than anger of the gods it loses the exile ability but gains the ability to get rid of artifacts and again certain decks like hammer time and decks that rely heavily on utility artifacts via Karn packages and so forth, this can be a, a pretty handy thing to be able to wipe. Yeah, and it also hits Planeswalkers, which is new relative to other peer cards that are similar to this. So you have a mixture of the three damage, which is usually what you're using this for, plus it hits Planeswalkers, plus the flexibility for artifacts. Um, you know, I think just being versatile is something that I think players generally underestimate. Um, they, they actually talk about that on Watsi's podcast all the time, is that, you know, they, when they try to cost cards, it is consistent that people underestimate this ability and, and kind of over undercost it, you know, originally during testing, and they keep having to add to it on these type of cards and um, charms and other things like that. So not surprised to see it underestimated. I thought the same thing, right? This is fine. Maybe it gets to a couple bucks, but you have to get up to five to even be able to buy list for a profit. Who knows? Um, I'm surprised to see it hit nine or so. I I don't think it can last, but any card seen playing Legacy, I mean, that. That's pretty good, right? It takes a lot to break into that format. I saw it consistently as a two-off sideboard card and sometimes the main uh, throughout the last weekend. So anything that can do well in Legacy has staying power most likely, but I do think it'll probably settle back um, just considering all the different EV competition for this set. This has got me wondering whether this is the unlicensed hearse of the set where we both take a look at it last spring and go, okay, that's a solid sideboard card, not as good as other anti graveyard tech it'll see some play and then it ends up being the in the case of hers the number one most best-selling card from that set even above ledger shredder according to tcg player and second in price only to ledger shredder amongst the rares at currently i think 15 dollars or something like that right but the the one difference i mean the reason I, i'm skeptical of any card in the set is just there's so many other things currently soaking up the EV, right? Like, Streets of New Capenna didn't... I mean, it had some things, but it didn't have anything like what Chase we cards weren't as good. Chase cards and artifacts and other things that are just going to demolish these other cards. So that's, I think, a little bit of a distinction. And this is already close. I mean, it's not quite there, but it's 60% of the way to yeah. Unlicensed Hurst. Agreed. So that's probably about the ceiling. I would I would imagine that if you got these early, because there's people that bought two and three dollar copies, then probably right. probably don't need to be holding and and daring the remainder of the movement to peak supply to collapse the price. You may as well just go get out while you can. I'm just taking a look at here what CK is offering. 480 or 624 credit, and then on extended arts way less they are only paying two dollars and thirty to 2.99 so paying significantly more for regular copies yeah the the regular copies they want 300 plus copies so suggest those are selling very well and selling to competitive players that don't really think too hard about uh putting fancy versions in their pioneer decks yep all right, so moving right along here, we've also got Feasting Troll King, extended foil extended arts out of Eldraine Collector Boosters. Haven't had something out of that set jump for a while. Five to nine dollars. This is a card that has been up and down as food decks have ebbed and flowed. 
Aspiring Spike has been really going hard on the food decks lately. He's had three or four, maybe even five different iterations on stream over the last 10 days or so. And some of them have 5-0 or 4-1 leagues relatively easily. A lot of clicks to play those decks, but it's there's no denying that he has caught on to something now that he's got a couple of extra cards. And you're seeing some Haywire might play in some of those decks, and Feasting Troll King has often been featured as a four of as the top end attacker payoff card for the food deck. Yeah, Doomwake has also been streaming quite a bit of that over the last few months as well, kind of off and on. So there's a few streamers. I think I think it has potential, which is why it's interesting. It's not broken, so it's not... I mean, the food deck specifically aren't winning everything, but it's got enough potential and enough interesting options where it allows you to just keep playing with it over and over again in different iterations. You know, I think it's one or two really good cards away from being a solid deck, but it's it's one of those things comes and goes. It never seems to have staying power, but um, people play it, people like it, and it's got a chance. I think long term. And notably, it hasn't top eight at any of these challenges yet or any major tournaments. So that's what it to- did a while ago. I mean, when the food decks were all the rage, right when they came became possible. I can't remember what tech tech came out. Probably Asmo. Um, yeah, yeah. You're you're talking about summer 2021. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. That that was the last time that the decks were doing well. But the, you know, in recent times, recent over the last eight weeks, as the testing right. has picked up, we haven't yet seen it break into a top eight. That would definitely be something to watch Agreed. for because it could further activate cards like Asmo that are total bulk at the moment and would, would certainly need a, a more regular appearance in top eights to show any traction. Uh, we've also got Thunderhawk gunship surge foils at a 40k going 6 to 12. This looks very suspicious to me. It feels like just people going after surge foils and targeting them. It's only 3,000 decks so far in EDH rack. It's not even in the top 10 of the cards from, from that release. It's only in 1% of all white decks. It works in the white creature strategies. You can play it in Ginny Fae, Jetmir, Magnus Kalgar, etc. But this is a supply-side play on a very mediocre card and i wouldn't want to be going very deep on it yep art's great though kind of reminds me of uh star starcraft starcraft there we go it reminds me of the big hulking starcraft ships where you're uh oh yes yes eight of them and you just kind of come in and tank out yeah 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 the laser the laser gun shooting carriers yes yes all right so a braid foils from double double feature last uh winter this is another of these subsets that seem to be heavily targeted where people are just they're focusing in on the low supply cross-referencing against high playability and trying to hollow it out so these went 11 to 24 118 percent gains this card a fancy version of this card does look better than other options like gunship because there's this is a 90,000 edh rec decks it's also multi-format play because it's of its flexibility like brotherhood's end to kill both creatures and artifacts in this case as point removal so not super surprising there likewise brutal cathar from the double feature a silver screening version non-foils this time going 350 to 8 dollars 130 percent gains brave the elements foils have only ever had a single printing and the foils have gone from m14 have gone 6 to 15 Basically just getting scooped up a couple extra play sets and moving the needle. It's in only 9,000 decks on EDH Rec, but it's a four of in the Pioneer Mono White deck. So I suspect that people that are foiling those out, since they're relatively cheap to do that with, 
um, have scooped up the remaining copies. At the very top of our list, we have Boon Reflection out of Shadowmoor. Foils going 15 to 60. This again just looks like an old foil that eventually just ran out of copies to sell. It's in 7,780 at Drek listings, but it does have that other printing in Double Masters, which is its only other printing. Uh, and those foils have better art and are only $4, so I wouldn't be chasing $60 Boon Reflections. Nope. Um, one card I was looking at for my picks of the week, which I, I bring up, it made, the abrade made me think about it, is just how much EDH play can matter for these type of like uncommons with some cool versions, but you know, do they see play? I was looking at the, um, I was looking at Lightning Helix because it's only like a buck, buck fifty for the new Secret Layer version that looks pretty cool, and I had seen Boros Charm. The Secret Layer version was really expensive. Um, it was like fifteen bucks or so for the for the Secret Layer version, which looks pretty cool. I was like, oh well, you know, maybe that could be a pick this week. I was surprised to see Lightning Helix. It's only in like eight thousand decks, like nothing um, relative to. Boros Charm was in a hundred and thirteen thousand decks, and so you can just see like the the Boros Charm with being EDH play is very expensive despite having incredibly cheap versions. Lightning here looks very similar, cool art uh, at a buck fifty, and probably going to stay that way just because it's not played in EDH, EDH even though it's played competitively. And I just think those. I mean, we talk about it every week, but these EDH rec stats are. I think essential to look at these days every time. A good guideline, yeah. Even even if you're gonna disregard it in the end, it's it's kind of like the first starting point for context for a lot of these things because competitive play comes and goes. EDX is the driver, and on top of that, um, you know, more consistent than competitive play. One of the things I think long term that's interesting about those stats, though, is that because they are they look back on a two year period. It's, it's important that it does that instead of looking at all all-time because all all-time, as power creep pushes more and more cards out of EDH playability, if you had a card that was very, very popular 10 years ago and has since been replaced by three better versions, it might still show up as 50k decks or something. But those decks, if you looked at the graph of number of reported instances of inclusion year over year, you might see a steeply declining curve. And that would actually be a very interesting graph for Jason and the team to add over there because um, showing the direction of play, whether it's on an upward swing or a downward swing or relatively even, would be a very good indicator of how the card sits in the meta um, for EDH. Another good good way to get a sense is just to look at, instead of looking at the top two years, look at the past month and just scroll through, you know, what were the top cards, generally speaking, and... Some of them you see and you're like, oh, yeah, of course. But some of them you kind of do a double take and just say, really? Uh, it's a good kind of pulse check of whether whether or not you have an accurate thought about what a card, you know, how much it's being played in the meta. Yeah, exactly. All right, so move, move on over to top Magic Online movers of the week. What do you got for us? Sure. So Shieldred is still on the list, uh, same as last week. Very modest bump from 72 to 80. Uh, 80 but tickets on, for Shieldred 80 right tickets now, huh? I included on here because that is just an absurd price. And that is really going back to the redemption aspect, the fact that you can redeem Dominary United for paper copies if you have a copy of every digital card in the set. And the the value in paper is there, which makes the EV online have to match up in some way. And Shieldred apparently has just absorbed most of it because um, a full set, I think, is 121 tickets last time I looked. So this is 
two-thirds of the entire set all in one card uh so that was an 11 percent game i thought notable uh, fury on here you know this is one that yo-yos around we've seen it in the past it's going from 30 to 42 tickets uh for 40 percent gain this of course is placed on modern and legacy play uh, mutagenic growth saw about a hundred percent increase from one uh, to 250 and that is because jeskai prowess which is uh in a first place deck in a recent tournament it's going, I think, 7-0, and oh. and so that played mutagenic growth along with, you know, all the other free spells, essentially, that lead to um, pretty crazy starts if they if they run your way. And finally, which this one, I'd be curious if you have thoughts on, a Shattering Spree went from 3 to almost 8 uh, tickets for 150% gain. Not really sure what moved it. I looked through Popper and Legacy and a few others. I didn't really see much in main boards or sideboards, but might have missed something, but that was the top percentage of the week. I've got nothing on that. I don't know if it's because there's an advent of artifact decks in Pioneer and or Modern that, re- that require access to Spree, but it's not a Pioneer legal card, right? It's not, it's only in uh, Modern and Legacy. Uh, is it Gate Crashes? Yeah, that's not Pioneer. Not, right? Yeah, so or Guild Pack, I should say. So, yeah, I don't think it is. All right, we'll have to double check on that. Shouldered, I'm looking back at the price on GoatBots. It started out at 18 tickets, huh? Okay, yeah, that's right. God, memories are short, right? So 20, and I'm pretty sure people bought around 20 and sold around 40, and then it just kept going. I think it peaked at 68 back in September 14th, came down a little bit, and then went It's also relevant that there was a second double-up available from November 11th until now. Yep, and the time that we had uh, the cast discussing buying into the set was right around that low it was right around the low so i think at that time sets for diamond united were about 105 tickets and so most of the gains has come from children since then and then on top of that a a number of the other cheaper cards in the set have went down so the actual evs only went up by 20 where children's went up by 40 so you would have been better off just buying children (laughs) and getting a quick double up rather than a 50 percent gain on the set yep very impressive. Looks like very well worthwhile to figure out what the shield of each set is. Do you have any thoughts on what, what might look like that for Brothers War? So we saw Leyline Binding go to about 30 ticks. I could see that happening here. Um, usually when things go crazy, it is a mythic. Um, it also is connected with the paper price, right? And if Brothers War is going to be the core set of Brothers War, not, you know, everything else thrown in, but just the regular cards. If they're not going to be very good and most of the EV is outside of that, then it will push down prices overall. Um, so it'll take a little bit while to shake out, I think. Uh, but if I had guessed the, the top cards probably are the Brothers and... I mean, Phyrexian, Flesh Gord, yeah, 16 tickets currently. You know, I think the, the two sneaky ones, three sneaky ones are um, Sahili is pretty good, actually, when you when you play against it. It's basically draw a card every turn because the decks that are in there, um, you know, you, you usually have some type of artifact just laying around that you tap for free. So you're drawing a card every turn. And if you could always minus two to get the two Thopters, which give you something to tap as well. So that's what I've played against before. It's never really taken off, but all it will take is a new um, deck emerging to really make that one pop. Um, Gix, Yawgmoth Praetor, always has some potential in Mono Black, but that hasn't come together yet, uh, but it would allow you to draw a lot of cards, so people have talked about that in the past, and then, you know, the Arcane Proxy never made it either, uh, but that, I think, has potential, but 
as of right now, usually whatever scene tournament results <clears throat> is what I bet on. And right now, like we talked about, Brotherhood End is the top card. It's seen a lot of play. Fire Action Flesh Gorder is seen, I'd say, less play, but it's a mythic, so it has more prominence. But eventually, these cards are going to you know, start popping, but it just depends on how long, I think, and also when Redemption starts, uh, which is, I think is coming close or is happening for brothers war but I, I know they didn't update it on today but i haven't seen it yet I, I certainly see some potential for some things to pop off here like misery shadow is currently under two and a half tickets could see that being something equivalent to brotherhoods and if it sees play in two formats simultaneously strong in yep. strong fashion the black red deck in pioneer seems to be running three copies of it so if a if a modern deck picked it up which seems like a stretch might be something there the other one that catches my eye is awaken the woods at 1.5 ticks you know if if the big green decks figure out a reason to be running this for some reason during its life lifetime in in standard and or pioneer then you know, that, that could end up being a four of Mythic in a deck and not be worth $1.50 anymore. Yeah, and there's there's some cheaper ones. I mean, the Mishra's Foundry, any land that turns into a creature is always usually pretty good in you know in the end uh, in terms of tickets. So that's when I could see uh, Fire Action Dragon Engine, which is the 2-2 the double strike that that blends with Urza. Mishra. Or Mishra. Mishra. Um, that one I, I've seen a little bit of play scattered if that takes off you know that could go to the moon Mightstone and Meekstone as you've seen has seen some play but I don't think that'll ever be like a three or four of so I don't I don't think it'll see kind of a huge boost third class iconoclast is one of those uncommons that right now is only you know 0.2 tickets it's you know everyone's buying their play set because why not that's the type of card where I think in a year assuming it doesn't get reprinted it could be one to you know one and a half tickets online so people might be loading up on that i don't tend to play that small ball anymore on magic online but there's definitely money to be made on some of those uh, when they come your way and they're seeing so much play like this is including in legacy which online is a very real format all right move on over to segment three cards to watch i've got a couple of cute ones this week how about tezzeret master of the bridge this is officially a War of the Spark card, but it was actually the buy a box promo. So you can't get any extra of these by cracking boxes. You had to get these from your LGS when you bought a box. And so the ability for cracked sealed product to yield these is zero. It is 50% inclusion in the top commander of the past week, which is Urza Chief Artificer. There was multiple versions of Urza, so I may as well read this one. It is a 3 Esper for a 4-5 Human Artificer. It has affinity for artifact creatures specifically, and which means it costs one less for each artifact creature you have in play. Artifact creatures you control have Menace, and at the beginning of your end step, create a 0-0 colorless construct creature token with this creature gets plus one plus one for each artifact you control so the same ability that we've seen karn and other iterations of urza create the same one that urza saga creates sloan in the discord was running this against us last weekend uh in the edh night and looked like a fun commander not surprised to see it taking top billing this week tezzeret is an auto include in here because it adds a, a variety of synergies tezzeret gives creatures and planeswalker spells you cast affinity for artifacts and urza has affinity for artifact creatures 
So when you add Tez to the mix, you're recasting your Urza very, very cheaply if you can keep Tez on the table. And given that you're focusing on artifact creatures, not just regular artifacts in the stack, you tend to have a significant number of blockers, a lot of which are going to be the constructs. And the constructs tend to be pretty big. So by the mid-game, the Urza player usually has two, three, four, five constructs holding down the ground. I ended up going over top with flyers, but that's another matter. The Tezzeret also has a whole bunch of other relevant abilities. So the plus two is deals X damage to each opponent, where X is the number of artifacts you control, you gain X life. So you drop Tez, and you probably have six to ten artifacts in play. You immediately drain the table for six, eight, ten, whatever. He goes to seven loyalty, and you've got blockers in play, presumably, to defend. Very good situation. Minus three, return target artifact card from your graveyard to your hand. So they've dealt with one of your key artifacts, you want to bring it back, this helps with that. Then the minus eight is exile the top 10 cards of your library, put all artifact cards from among them onto the battlefield, which just puts you in a win more situation where you're compounding the effects of all of your other cards. Very, very good card in the strategy. Um, great art on it. It's only got the single version. It's never caught a reprint. It only had the buy box version. And if you look at the total number of listings left on TCG Player, you're talking about 13 listings total. You can get them for about $25, but the actual play here is to grab them in Europe where they're still under $15 with current exchange rates and ship them on over here and just try to sell them in the, you know, anywhere from $25 to $40 range. And you should be in good position as people keep building Urza. So CK buy list on this is $13.50 cash asking for 25 copies. So financially speaking, if you get an EU for 15, there's very, very little risk, right? If you're you're basically buying a buy list. Um, so it's hard to go wrong, just a matter of where it goes from here. This is not a card I've really played against, but the supply is so low, it just feels like all you need is a little bit of play and it'll continue to bump up. So I think going 15 to 25, 30 is really easy. Going to 40 it will take a little bit longer, potentially, but US prices are you know getting pretty up there already so uh maybe sooner rather than later so easy easy uh low risk play for sure and you know depending on what the price is you'll either break even uh through a buy list or sell for at least a modded profit if not about 100 percent gain Alrighty, what's your first selection so I, I did some research this week with the release of the dominaria dominaria remastered set you know i i, I felt a little um on edge with Watsy this week. So I'm going to go more for uh, two, for a personal set card. So this is something I wouldn't spec on because the supply is too deep. But I do think if you need personal copies, uh, now is the time, which is Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath, a card we are all familiar with from the bannings and ubiquitous play. This is one where uh, it is seen every type of reprint possible for this type of card, right? It has been in the list. It has already been in a secret layer. Both of those versions are um, doing just fine and haven't really crushed the price, but it is down to $10 for the regular version, when whereas the other premium ones are 20 to 30 So there's a pretty big gap there. Um, this card is in 23,000 EDH rec decks. It's, you know, it's a great card. It's a mythic. It's already seen all the type of reprinting. So I had to buy a playset myself for a legacy deck I'm building. Uh, I think people would normally buy this for EDH. Uh, but I just think, you know, this is the time is right to get your personal copies. Because I, I, I think this is probably close to the floor. And I do think without a reprint, you know, the sales on this are pretty strong looking through the sales trends on TCG Player. So I think it'll steadily grow over time. Um, 
the the depth is large now but not crazy large considering the sale volume and the walls there's one big wall of 52 copies but otherwise there's not many walls out there and so i do think once that one is torn down this will continue to climb so that's my my first one just get your personal sets of uro if you're interested in uh, purchasing it now because i do think over the next year year and a half they're just continually going to steadily climb without a reprint Uro's an extremely powerful card. I've always loved to see it come up when I'm playing Moldrotha because you can cast it for three, let it go to the yard, and then recast it every turn. Very, very nasty. And I find myself being drawn towards these secret layer copies with the Kaldheim-esque art. Borderer is very attractive. The art's very attractive by, uh, I think it's by Richard Leong or something. And there was only 17 listings left of those foils. Um, starting around 35 to 38 and then pretty quickly ramping up towards 50. I would imagine given some amount of time, these are just going to drain out. Given where this card is banned, Wizards will probably be reluctant to reprint it. Yep. Um, and they, when they released the Secret Layer, reminder, they had to discount it because they released it at the exact same time as the banning. So they were basically right. like, whoops, you get it for $25 instead of 30 Yeah. And so it's 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 already on the list where it's just doing its work in terms of making sure that people have avail- copies available for EDH. Mm, but it's not a huge And it's drop. no longer on the list. It was previously, but it's no longer. Is it banned in Legacy? Uh, it is not. It does see considerable play. All right. So, I mean, I think I agree with you that in terms of a floor having been set for Uro, and should you get a copy for yourself, yeah, $10 seems fine. If I was looking at this from a spec perspective, I'd probably go for the foil secret layer version in the mid-30s um, or get try to get a coupon on it on a 10% off day or something. Throw it in a deck, forget about it for a couple of years, and then check back in on it. I would not at all be surprised to see that version of the card end up being $60 plus. All right, what's your next pick, James? All right, my next selection is Sky Sovereign Consult Flagship, the original foils at a Kaladesh on a 0-12 to 12 month timeline. I'm talking about regular frames going 16 to 30. There is currently very low supply on TCG Player. This is the fifth most played Pioneer card. It also is in 17,000 EDH rec decks since its release. And I think it's a very interesting card to talk about and a good test to check back in on in, say, six months or so, because there is already a reprint of this on deck that hasn't even shown up yet. So, James, why would we touch this card? There is a 40k secret layer that's going to drop and push a bunch of copies in the market. Here's the thing. I have a suspicion that A, some Pioneer players will not prefer 40k art. B, that some players are going to have trouble finding the 40k cards on the TCG player site um, and may not know that version even exists because of the way it's named. It has 40k spaceship naming, and then in small print, it's Sky Sovereign Consult Flagship. And I also think that the price of the secret layers will tend to support, and, and the other cards that were in this particular drop, will tend to support the secret layer version being pretty on par. In the sense that I don't think that the secret layer version can be a $4 card because of what else was in there. And so that I think it will, that they will be linked to the original foil price as opposed to dragging that price down. Now, it's certainly some amount of competition and because it hasn't landed yet and we don't know what's going to happen, I can't tell you there's no risk here. But I think, I think given how low the original supply is and the fact that it just got the secret layer printing and is very unlikely to get yet another one, because though, as we're going to talk about shortly, 
double secret layer printings are certainly possible in, say, a two-year horizon, it's a relatively few number of cards that end up in that boat, and they're typically super staples, which I wouldn't rate Sky Sovereign as. It's very much a pioneer card that has some amount of EDH play. So if you are comfortable getting original foils, you can get them around 16, aim to sell them around 30, and the secret layer thing is the big question mark here. I think, so it was also in non-foil, of course, in Commander Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, um, just in the regular art. But what what makes me worried is clearly this is one of those cards that's on perked up Watsi's ears, and they've now reprinted it a few times, only one in foil, but those are the cards that I worry will just kind of keep getting put into Commander decks because they're generic, they do good things, it's a five-mana colorless card, so it can go in anything, and I worry if the non-premium gets super cheap and there's multiple foils that you're never going to get above your, you know, and make it grow enough to um, get your gains out of the, the foil premium version. Because they're not like, if they were super cheap, I think that'd be different, but they're not that cheap to begin with. So I think the way I'd maximize uh, eliminating some of that risk is just by making sure to get a good in. I wouldn't pay a premium for some of these. I'd be kind of looking for steals or uh, buying on buy list, for, for example, if you have access to that sort of thing on TCG Player, um, where you can kind of get in lower than, than cost. And that way, if it does drop, you're mitigating some of that risk. You can also wait to see what happens when the Warhammer drop arrives? Because it was supposed to be shipped already, right? But it's late as per usual. Yeah. This is the October super drop we're talking about. Yeah, it says Hasn't October shipped ship out. Yeah, so I would assume, you know, I mean, once it does, you'll know. Because these things tend to crater, um, even for some of the best cards. It is it is somewhat shocking how much secret layer products are being delivered now. And so... I think, yeah, maybe waiting until this drops, you can really get a sense of where things are at. And then, you know, honestly, the the first weekend of Secret Layer cards for the good ones is not a terrible time to use as a, a benchmark. Um, for the bad cards, they continue to fall. But for the good cards, oftentimes they, they really bottom out that first weekend or, you know, weekends when they're landing and getting posted and then they go up from there. So once you see that information, I think you'll have a pretty good perspective of what is possible. I will say I like that Secret Layer art. I... uh I think if I ran this card, I'd run that non-foil in my competitive decks for sure. So the thing is that I think people can wait on this one. They just put this one in their like watch list. That's why it's cards to watch. Wait for that drop to start arriving. Check it on opening weekend. See how the alternate art version is being priced and what seems to be happening with the original foils and then go from there. It could be possible that you want the secret layer version right? If it's priced very aggressively, like say if I saw the borderless foils at $5 or something, that would seem like a no brainer. The other thing is that this drop doesn't have anything in it. Merciless Executioner, Aggravated Assault, Cranko, Zergo Helm Smasher, and Sky Sovereign. So the only two important cards are Aggravated Assault and Sky Sovereign. And I suspect that this secret layer sold very poorly. I don't think people were, were bundling really hard on this. And because of that, I think that there will be less of this around than there normally would be, and that will put less pressure on the original foils. If you follow the game plan, wait for this stuff stuff to drop, which presumably happens the next four to six weeks, you'll have a better sense of where things lie, and then you can decide which version to target and how deep to go. Yep, makes sense. But I do think this card is, it's seen a lot of Pioneer play. Some of it is in the mono green list, so you know I think you have 
perception of Banris potential there, but I think it's played elsewhere as well. Um, so as long as that keeps up, the non-foils are helped by the competitive play. And then is this, what's the EDH rec? I'm sure you put it in there. Let's see. 17K. 17K. So, I mean, solid EDH, which obviously pushes the foils. So I think, yeah, just depends on the pricing. Well, a couple weeks out. All right, now we're going to let Pro Trader Yawks get away with submitting Emery Lurker of the Lock Borderless Foils from the Secret Layer Countdown Kits. It's kind of a no-brainer. It's been discussed in the Discord. But this is one of the few great cards left in foil that doesn't seem to have been targeted to into Oblivion yet. But I would imagine it is very close to hitting that stride. We'll not be at all surprised if this turns the corner and next week we're claiming this as a win for him. It got down to $11. They're currently around 15 There's only 23 listings left. I bought 12 the other day, just below 15 And there are probably something like 20 or 30 copies to go before it's $20 plus. And he's calling 18 to 35 on a zero to three month horizon. And that seems very reasonable. It's in 34,000 EDH decks. Blue Red Breach has been doing very well in Modern. We saw two Emery decks in the top eight of the Showcase Challenge. 22 listings on this seems like a win yep when, whenever you see a trend which we are seeing right now on the secret layer 30th advent calendar i have to say that because otherwise that might get confusion over the other product um for the advent calendar you see a trend i think it, this is a good logical next step is not to be cute and reinvent the wheel but to say okay i, I identify a trend what is the next step of that trend and you know i think more often than not those logical conclusions are correct or at least uh you know in the right direction so i agree i think you know this is a well-played card everyone knows it the art's interesting and unique and the foils are few and far between so should work out okay Alrighty, moving on to topics of the week first thing to tackle is the december secret layer super drop if Magic players were complaining that there are too many <laughs> releases and too much to keep track of, Wizards is lagging behind that feedback because there is tons of new information this week and new products to consider, including the biggest super drop ever with a total of 12 different drops. To simplify this for folks, based on the analysis that I provided the Pro Traders with the other day, because um, I tend to do a pretty detailed write-up for the people that are looking to either buy secret layers for their collections or treat them as specs. And the summary is, if you look at all these 12 drops, the most obvious one to target is the one of three Transformers drops. This one is the one called Optimus Prime versus Megatron. It features classic 80s versions, well, sort of. I mean, Megatron's not allowed to be a gun anymore, <laughs> for obvious reasons. Uh, he was originally a Walther P-38. In Generation 2 Transformers, they made him a tank, which is not any less destructive, but uh, apparently more palatable to the parental crowd. And it's Optimus Prime as Darksteel Colossus, Megatron as Blightsteel Colossus, which is a very key reprint for Blightsteel. One of the most expensive cards they've ever put in a secret layer. It's currently something like $60 plus in borderless version. $105 actually. And $108. We're picking those up for a lot less than that. They've grown. Yeah, yes, we were. Um, and even regular copies of Blight Steel Colossus are going for $60 for either Mirrodin Besieged or Double Masters version. So easily one of the best cards they have ever put in the secret layer in terms of demand profile slash price. And I think because it's a Megatron Blightsteel, 
it's e- it's even better because now you've got all the Transformers fans that will buy it just because it's Megatron. And the Optimus is the Darksteel Colossus. That's a much less important card, you know, ten or fifteen thousand decks on EDH Rec or whatever. But still, see some play here and there. And it's Optimus Prime, so I think the Optimus Prime part of it will get it sold just because it's Prime. Extra cool. These things flip, but they don't have different cards on the back. It's the same card on both sides. They just have different art. So it's Optimus and Megatron in robot form. The back side is their vehicle form, and then the third card in the drop is the All Spark, which is the artifact that Megatron and Optimus tend to fight over in the cartoon. A renaming of Doubling Cube, which is also a very popular EDH card that doubles your mana. So this is a great drop. We know that the bonus card is going to be Cybertron equals Command Tower. And premium versions of Command Tower have commanded a reasonable price as well. The fact that it is the same include across all three Transformers drops means there's actually going to be a fair number of those around. So it might only be reliable as a $5 to $10 card. But there's enough Transformers fans that a Cybertron named card will still probably sell pretty well. So you can get these for for $30 in non-foil, $40 in foil. I think I would lean towards the foils here, but I think both will probably do well. I, I fail to see how this is not going to be a 60 to $80 drop within a year. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I mean, the license, we've talked about this again in the Discord a little bit, but the licensed secret layers have tend to be the ones doing well lately. Um, you look at Street Fighter or Fortnite and some of these others. They, Stranger they do things, generally pretty good. mischief. Yep. Right. So, um, and it's one of those things where actually one of the best ways to do those are sealed. I think that's because of the collector's aspect of that. There's even a premium on like the, the um, Stranger Things is better in sealed than it is in singles last time I analyzed it. So, you know, I think you have the boost of the licensing, the lack of ability to reprint the specific art, uh, for the most part, the uniqueness of the double-sided art uh, is something they've never done before. And, you know, who knows? Now it's Watsy. They probably will do it every other set. But... I think it does add to it, at least in the short term. Um, and, you know, I think with, with a lot of things, if they come out hot, you can get rid of them right away. Otherwise, you wait a year or two, and, you know, these type of things will claw its way back. Bite Steel's um, a very, very good card. The price reflects that. It bounced back very quickly in Double Masters. Obviously, that was probably a, a similar or more narrow supply than this will be. I think this will be well-ordered, but uh, which means you'll have to be patient, relatively speaking, uh, on some of these, but... You know, you can probably flip Darksteel uh, at cost, pay for your drop in the short term if you really want, and then if not, hold on to it for a year or two and then be able to make some decent profit. I suspect this is going to perform a lot like the Phyrexian Praetors drop or the Stranger Things drop, and I'll be surprised if that's not the case. As obvious as a grab as this is, it's entirely possible that it will sell worse than normal just because there's this anti watsy sentiment floating around now on social media among a lot of players because of the 30th anniversary shenanigans. And it's also a time of year where people need to refocus their funds on Christmas gifts and so forth and holiday trips and all of that. And they've also got additional releases that we're going to talk about shortly here. So there's a lot of distraction. There's a lot of fracturing of attention in this current market. There's a lot of negative sentiment, maybe the highest level of negative sentiment we've seen in years around the number of releases and so forth. And so I think there's plenty of players that are just going to opt out of buying Magic product this month, and it may take some time for them to come back to the well. 
all of that adds up to me as this looks like a, a pretty obvious win, and I'll be surprised if it, if it results otherwise. Now, there is another Transformers drop. Well, two more. One of them is Basic Lands. I think that one you can largely ignore, um, as has typically been the case. Now, keep in mind the Godzilla secret layer with Basic Lands everybody thought was garbage, and it's like $80 or something now. So That feels like a <laughs> lifetime ago now, though. Re- results may vary. I mean, that was less than two years ago. Well, on Secret Lair lifespan, that was forever ago. That was when people weren't buying them. Yeah, that, that could have had something to do with it. And and I err on the side of caution with the basic lands and just stay away. Um, I mean, I saw that the one of the Zodiac lands had been showing gains on TCG Player, but that's not going to tempt me into buying those. Yeah. Uh, Transformers Rollout or Rise Up, though, is the second best one. This one has six strong... Well, five strong EDH cards and a fringe modern card that doesn't really see play anymore. There's Greater Good, which is 52,000 EDH rec. Dramatic Reversal, 69,000 EDH rec. Offer also a popper card, if I'm not mistaken. True Conviction, 25,000 EDH rec. By Force, 16,000 EDH rec. And maybe Underplayed, that's the one that destroys X artifacts for X and Red. Fabricate is 61,000 EDH rack and certainly relevant with all the artifact decks getting built, including Urza. And then Collective Brutality is only in 2,400 EDH rack and doesn't really see play in modern much anymore since Jund isn't really on the agenda. Fabricate is a double secret layer reprint that yep. was in, um, it wasn't too long ago. I actually sold all my copies for, I think, 15 apiece in foil. So I sold really, really well. Um, so I'm sure these will do equally as well. But I not, I, you know, well, that's a trend we'll talk about. But, um, you know, seeing double reprints back to back of these type of cards when there's many other options you could be reprinting, I think, is, um, in my view, start of a problematic trend of at minimum miscommunication between the various Watsi departments or uh, maybe willful, willful ignorance of kind of what is appropriate uh, for a long term kind of planning purposes for collectors. I mean, I still think, I think that they look at it as most things we will give two to five years before we reprint. Super key cards, like your Path to Exiles and Dark Rituals and Counter Spells and stuff, we're making no promises. You can see a version of that anytime we think it, it fits into a cool subset. Stuff like a Fabricate is a little more surprising when they double tap it in inside a year or two years. But if you look at the Fabricates, there's actually, it's, it wasn't just double tapped lately, it was triple tapped if not quadruple, because it's been in, in the last couple of years, it was added to the list where it's a six and a half dollar card. It was a release promo for the 40 K sets where it's a three and a half dollar card. And it was in a secret layer with very cool art where it's $11. Yeah. $11 for non foils and 12 and a half for foils. So it's a very reasonable include. People need to remember that these are 30 and or $40 box sets, right? There's six cards included. So if the original Fabricate Secret Layer Drop is holding 11, this one gets gets printed now. That's not going to push the 11 down to 6. That one's just going to sell less often, splitting attention with the new one. But the new one, given the economics of that set, are probably also going to be 10 to $11 or whatever. This one has Megatron turning into Galvatron on it, so it will sell just fine. And would probably be my preferred version, even though the art is actually better on the other borderless version. So worth noting when you're getting double or triple tapped in, in a short time span, but some one thing I've noticed is that like if you think about things like Command Tower, Soul Ring, Mana Crypt, etc., they've had lots of versions over the last 10 years. 
But it doesn't end up being a question of how often they print it. It's a question of how rare is the version they just printed and yeah. how nice is it. And to be clear, fabricate's an uncommon. I, I mean, whatever. Reprint an uncommon as much as you want. But the fact that they, I mean, it's, I think the other one was less than a year ago. Like, there has I, to be better options out there. And when you, the, I mean, just from a perception standpoint, you know, give it, 18 months two years at a minimum between the same type of treatment it just seems lazy if not anything else well well, that's the thing they aren't actually the same treatment they the the one from i think you're right about a year ago they i think it was like a fashion themed one if i'm not mistaken it might even have been last spring is borderless with a very distinctive art style this is regular frame with megatron art so from in their minds they just see these as totally different things and again, because it's an uncommon, they think it's fair game to just give us as many fancy versions as as they feel like. Especially since in this drop, there are six cards. In the Blightsteel drop, there are three cards. And don't even get me started on how they deny that like they pay attention to the secondary market. There's a very good reason there's three in one and six in the other, because one of them has Blightsteel. <laughs> <laughs> and they right. knew that was a hundred dollar card right so they already yeah. feel like they're you're basically buying blight steals on the cheap and they're giving you some bonuses right so i'm willing to bet i'm willing to bet you that this i'm willing to bet you that this megatron fabricate cannot be less than five to ten dollars and it given that you're getting six cards in the drop i think that's very reasonable and i don't think it's going to hurt this previous borderless version all that much that one is currently at 55 listings Normal listings is 28, and foil listings is 27. So from Wizards' perspective, this is almost sold out. You know what I'm saying? Like, And, and yeah. those that's including light, light Plate and Near Mint. If I go down to Near Mint, then the foils are down to 16 listings. I mean, this is basically gone already. I get what you're saying. My point is, the, the reason that this printing is happening, period, is because they're dropping 12 secret layers at a time when no one wants it and is competing with multiple other products they could have dropped eight secret layers and that this card didn't have to be reprinted at all oh yeah yeah in terms of could they have done less yes <laughs> i mean there's there's no doubt that they could do less I, I don't think we need transformers basic lands here um let's try to p- push through the rest of this i think this transformers yeah. ro- ro- rollout or rise up is solid not amazing i would recommend a minor allocation on that nine other drops that are non-transformers now off the top some summary stuff on this drop they used to give 16 to 20 percent discounts on bundles and what that meant was you got one of everything either one of all the non-foils one of all the foils or one of all the foils and non-foils and in the case of the october drop you had a choice of getting all the Japanese versions in with the foils or or not. And I think it also included the etched foils. And they've been experimenting with different things. On a subsequent drop, I think it was one of the drops in the summer, they gave us a build a bundle thing where basically you could mm-hmm. pick, mix and match whatever you wanted out of the super drop, and then you got the bundle discount. This time they figured out how to how to milk us for even more money by eliminating the bundle discounts completely. And now, instead, for every $200 you spend, you get a borderless art of the Scarab God as a club DJ. Which sounds ridiculous, but actually looks pretty cool. But but the pro traders have already figured out by fooling around with their carts that you can't get the Scarab God unless your cart includes 
something that's non-Transformers. So you can't just load up on the Darksteel Colossus, get a, spend $1,000, and get five Scarab Gods. You have to have other non-Transformer stuff in the cart to activate the Scarab God. Uh, it's unclear whether that was a policy decision or just an oversight in the way the e-commerce was managed. I think either is possible. It kind of surprises me that they took this long to figure out that a cash discount was way more expensive for them than just giving us a cool card that cost them pennies. Right. <laughs> Whoever came up with that got a bonus for sure. Uh, <laughs> because that's a huge win for them. And it's not that much worse for us. I, I was saying like the price on the Scarab, this version of the Scarab God is probably going to be 30 or $40 because that's roughly equivalent to about 20% of $200. Um, so I'm very curious to see where it ends up landing because keep in mind that the average secret layer order will not be $200, right? The bulk of the revenue from secret layers is probably associated with orders that are over $200 because that's the big orders like you, me, and even bigger vendors like Star City Games getting their hundred units in or whatever. Whereas we're getting 10, 20, whatever. Uh, I know you've had some orders that were 30 or 40 and so that's bulk of revenue, but that's not nearly bulk of orders. Like the vast majority of orders are people snagging the onesie twosie things they like. Like somebody might grab the Megatron Optimus thing and, and that's it. And none of those orders are getting the Scarab God. So in, in terms of comparing, say, Cybertron Command Tower, which comes in every one of the three Transformers drops versus the Scarab God, there's going to be way less of the Scarab God available for sale on TCG Player because they're only going to be in the hands of the people that made big orders. Yeah, I, I will say all of those are going to get resold, which I guess gets them in supply right away. Right. Yeah. So that's one thing I think if you're looking at that, you know, I definitely wait just, you know, to to let everything filter in the market cuz everything's going to hit the market cuz it's all speculators that are spending those big dollars which aren't going to be keeping scary gods around for personal use. Now the funny thing is and and People may not have like come like touched on this conclusion, but it's been there right in front of them for a while since the reveal of 30th edition challenging the reserve list. The real reserve list now seems to be fancy versions of cards. They've been doing this stuff now for better part of five plus years. They have never reused like they they have never redone that I can think of any secret layer art twice. Masterpiece things like Masterpiece Soul Ring and Mana Crypt, where they had low hanging fruit, they could have just given us a lot of the same cards and art from the Kaladesh masterpieces alongside the Brothers War instead of doing Transformers slash retro schematics. They could have just done Masterpiece Artifacts version two, did very similar filigree outline and made it blue instead of gold, and they would have been very popular. But they haven't touched any of that. They, they keep every time they do a subset they do a new theme for it new frames etc they keep generating fresh borderless art in a lot of cases yeah only exception being the praetors where they yeah uh well no they but even that was different even the elish norn which had a judge promo the version that they did in the secret layer was different it was similar because they still they both had Cyphyrexian lettering but the overall frame was different I would imagine that within five years, we will see a secret layer master set. That would not surprise me in the slightest. There's so much value to mine because they haven't reprinted any of that stuff. The longer that goes on, the more of those drain down to nothing. There will be greatest hits out of that. 
when they're printing 350 to 400 secret layer cards a year, given another two, three, five years, like for sure there will be demand that could support a $250 box. Right. I'd be curious to see like, what's the equivalent, like how many cards came out this year in secret layer and what would that equal in terms of rares and mythics towards an actual regular printed set? It's funny you should just. It's funny you should ask that because I was just thinking that earlier. That there, if there's like 300 to 350 cards in the secret layers this year, uh, some of which were double tapped, like you said, fabricate, etc. What is that equivalent to in terms of ha- adding master sets to the mix? I suspect it's the equivalent of something like three to four master sets in terms of meaningful reprints. Yeah, but a lot of them would be at the rare and uncommon level, not the mythic level, because they don't yeah. give us that many blight steals in secret layers. Like Agreed. it's very rare we get a fifty dollar card. They they are typically targeting those five to fifteen dollar cards. They're trying to find the original uncommons that have never had a foil printing before. That kind of stuff. Yeah. So speaking of, there's two that I wanted to flag. One was the. Sarah Ascendant Demonic Contaltation one, which is the another story. Another story by yep. Consendan. Yeah, and the the Demonic Consultation, I mean, that's a fifteen dollar card and it's a first time foil. So that is that should with be a pretty art. solid value for the foil. Um we have seen though with uh Mystic Remora and uh, a few other examples where they, they gave us a first time foil and then they immediately reprinted it, you know six months later and so that's when you know you're getting a lot of value there but it also is contingent on them not doing it again which is uh but see see th- this is the point i've been trying to make to the pro traders all day because every a lot of people feel exactly the same way you do that 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 double tap automatically injures the previous mystic remora because they announced today that for dominaria remastered there is also a mystic remora there but it's in old border and the art is good, but not amazing like the secret layer. I don't see it that way. I don't. I recommend that you write down the price of Mystic Remora from that secret layer, which is currently $28 for non-foil and $44 for foil, and track it for 6 to 12 months. I'm willing to bet I, you that the Dominator Remastered does not injure that copy very much at all. And as it continues to drain out, there will be less and less of it in the market, and that the price point on the one from the Dominary Remastered will be naturally much lower. It could be 10 to $20. And they're just going to be, in theory, the same card, but not really because they occupy different price tiers. And so people that want a very, very good Mystic Remora will get this one from previous this year. And people that want the cheapest Mystic Remora will get the Dominary Remastered one. And they just, they won't cannibalize each other much. Yeah, we'll see. I, I think Mystic Remora is a worse example because it is such an S tier card. It's an 163,000 yeah. X. So yeah. there, it's a little different. But for something like Demonic Consultation, which is in uh, 40,000 decks, I think it's less. I think people are less discriminatory about different versions and they just want to get it in foil. Um, so I would worry about a reprint more there than specifically Mystic Remora, which is. To, to me, it will be picky. To me, what I care more about is if I just invested in a version of a card, but then a much better version comes up. So like one of the thing like one of the things about, say, enemy fetch lands was they gave us so many versions in such a short period of time that they're all sure. languishing. 
right? And th- and they're probably going to be suppressed forever because they're going to before they have a chance to recover, they will give us them again, probably in 2024 or something like that. You know, it's much more about did you give me something better? If you give me a worse version, which I think is what the Mystic Remora is, I don't think it matters much. In the case of Demonic Consultation, will the next version be nicer than the one they showed off today? I doubt it. Like that Japanese themed art with the in foil is probably the supreme version of Demonic Consultation for some significant period of time. Um, I also like another story because it has Sarah Ascendant, Rapid Hybridization, Demonic Consultation, Winds of Change, and Lanamore Elves. And if I... Sarah Ascendant's expensive, which surprised me. I didn't... That little one drop, I didn't think it would be, but... Yeah, it goes for $24. That's because in EDH, it starts at full size. Oh, <laughs> interesting. It's re- it's that. ridiculous in the life gain decks. Like, if you drop that turn one in Aloro, then they're going to have a lot of trouble if they don't have point removal. They have to deal with uh, it pretty much right away. The the other card in that drop that doesn't have a foil is Winds of Change, which was a Legend slash Portal card. They currently go for about $30. Fourth and fifth edition is also exists, but there was no foils in those sets. So that's... the And those are 7 to $12. So those foils are probably $20 of value as well. Between the Winds of Change, the Demonic Consultation... Alanawar elves that some people will like. I personally don't like that art because it doesn't look like elves in the slightest. And then the rapid hybridizations in 94,000 EDH rec decks. Um, and the foils are currently $15. This is a solid drop. I think people can allocate, you know, minor to medium here. I wouldn't prioritize it over the Transformers, but I think this is a very solid selection. There's one with Frank that is features the D&D art of Frank Franzetta. And for people that don't know D&D, the, the art they're using here is pre-existing keystone art. This is iconic art from D&D. This is not new art for Secret Layers as far as I understand it. And the choice of cards is less important here than the fact that there are plenty of D&D slash Frank Franzetta fans that will buy this in the same way that Transformer fans will buy their stuff. There's only two cards in here that really jump out at me as as particularly important midnight reapers in 48,000 edh rec decks dark ritual is in 175,000 so a dark ritual frank franzetta given that you know there's tons of dark rituals is a good example of a card that has tons of versions but good versions are still worth money so the strixhaven japanese alt art goes for 12 dollars in non-foil and 32 in foil so i would imagine this printing could end up in in similar situation it's very cool art it's like a necromancer with a skull casting a evil spell looks great and then the temporal manipulation is a 24 dollars card that has 34 35 foils uma foil box toppers are 40 dollars. also likely to be a very solid contributor even if it ends up only being say 15 or 20 dollars. this looks like a good drop i think you can allocate to the frank friends that is as well there's another drop called welcome to the fungal which features incredible art but there are almost no relevant cards. It's Slimefoot Stowaway, Sapperling Tokens, Michael Loth, Gave, and Abundant Growth, which sees play in Omnath decks in Modern. This is a personal use grab. I, I would, I will grab some of these in singles to use, um, but I don't think it's a it's a spec. There's a Consendan Lands drop. He's a fantastic artist, but I don't see those going anywhere. Um, there's also a meaning of life maybe that has forced fruition future sight mental misstep minds dilation and well of lost dreams biggest card there is probably mental misstep it's in fifty-seven thousand edh rack plus sees vintage play it's got 150 dollars og foils 
So good art on foil mental misstep is no is no joke. That will probably be a decent amount of money. But I would deprioritize. I mean, those are vintage players them. that are playing that. I, you know, I I don't think that will translate to an updated version. I would think because that's not an EDH card, right? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not convinced vintage players won't put it in a deck, but I just think the, the overall drop is medium, and some of these other ones are yeah, much better. I, I would definitely skip it. There's an artist series, Alexi Brixalot, which is features Eldrazi-specific cards, Thought Not Seer, Reality Smasher, Inquisition of Kozlek, and Eldrazi Temple. If this had dropped during Eldrazi Winter, boy, this would have been a big deal. But And even though Eldrazi Tron is doing decently lately in Modern, I still think it's a f- tiny, tiny fragment of the format, and I would not be touching this drop, even though the art is amazing and it makes up a panoramic when it's side-by-side. If you're playing Eldrazi Tron, this is a no-brainer. you got to buy these. Because um, your deck is going to have one of the most unified looks of any deck in Modern. Like yeah. you, can, you, can t- you can take these cards, the Matter Reshaper they gave us in an earlier Secret Lair, which is why it's not here, by the way, and the Mark Tiedon, Ugly Karn, and the Urza Lands, and you have a very handsome overall <laughs> deck. See, I, I don't even I don't like Tron at all, but it's tempting from an aesthetics point of view. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, I mean these are the type of things where you know, like as a player, they're great, right? If you want these, the great new art, especially if you ha- you know you've been wanting to get it for a while, you're getting it at a pretty good price. Um, who knows what the include is, but there might be another secret card in there that really adds value. Uh, the ne- the next drop I'm sure you were going to talk about actually made me buy for the- as a personal card for the first time, which was the Just Add Milk drop. So this is the serial drop with um, really one chase card, which is Ulamog's Useless Hunger, and you have two other, you know, Galta and one other card that yeah, basically uh, usually worthless here. I think the-, the versions will have some value because they're unique. But basically, you're paying $30 for an Ulamog that used to cost, at least a non-foil, $50. Now it's $30. And as a player, I am going to love giving Watsy $30 to get this card. And I think for a lot of these drops, for players, that's the way they're looking at it, right? They're going, okay, does this make sense to me? Does it save me a couple bucks? Is the art cool? Great. I'll pull the trigger. It's only us on the financial side that are looking at these from, like, EV trying to get positive, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50% to make buying in bulk worthwhile. For the players, they're not doing that, right? They're picking and choosing a drop here or there that they think is interesting and grabbing a few copies. So it was interesting to be on the other end of that for the first time and just saying, oh, I, I actually needed this card for my Tron deck. I'll buy this now $20 cheaper than I could have before, and I'm happy. That was, it was an interesting experience. If you're an 80s or 90s kid, that was sitting around on Saturday mornings watching serial commercials. This is going to resonate pretty hard. Um, it's the first reprint of Ulamog and the first premium Ulamog and the ceaseless hunker we're talking about. And it's a pretty big deal between Tron players and 26,000 uh, worth of demand on EDH rec. Interestingly, it's Atali has almost four times the EDH demand that Ulamog does. And people have complained because Atali's been printed so many times in Commander decks and stuff, but people forget, or don't know, that the TS uh, Time Spiral Remastered Retro version is, is also bulk, it's only a dollar, but not the foils. The foil retro Atali is $40 plus. So a fancy Atali can certainly be worth some money. It's a really, really good EDH card, almost 100,000 decks run it. 
Um, so between Ulamog and Atali, I think you've got a pretty strong case for if you buy the foils here. Given that Ulamog currently goes for $50 and 130 in foil, giving us Darksteel Colossus and Ulamog are two big contributors to this super drop. And I think you can go pretty deep on the just add milk and do very well, especially if, you know, th this super drop does well with the people that are, um, not burnt out on magic and the vendors and so forth, but doesn't do that well with the players. That means some players will come around to wanting the singles later, which is going to contribute to driving the prices up faster. We don't know what the bonus card here is either. If the bonus card is sexy in this drop, that and adds another five or ten dollars plus in value then this is just a complete no-brainer um these are going to be automatic what's really cute about these is they're double-sided as well like the megatron optimus ones are but in this case they're both tournament legal on both sides because they're just a complete reorganization of the template and i think the way you want to go with these is play the backside to really irk your opponent the <laughs> 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 the the, the, the all of the backsides are just going to throw opponents completely for a loop um, and having to pick them up and read them. And they're probably going to waste two minutes on the clock just checking out your card because they're going to be, they're so visually interesting. Um, there's also a thing called Wizards of the Street. Uh, features fantastic art, but I think you ignore this one. It's Baral, Spellseeker, Magus the Wheel, Cast Dissonant Mage, all solid EDH cards, but you just get them for personal use. So is... I, I will say you didn't post this. Spellseeker is a $30 card. It was 42 So it's not insignificant. Okay. Yeah, I did overlook that. So that's that's a very good point. I'm looking at the judge promo. Spellseeker's judge point promo is 71 And that's the only other premium we have. So yeah, maybe you've underestimated this drop. Maybe this one is is solid as well. Um, I don't but know the if rest I want to hang kind of trash. So I wouldn't. I would. I mean, it seems again like a personal use type of situation. But just wanted to make sure to point that out. I can see the spell seekers accelerating pretty quickly if this drop doesn't sell well. I could too. Then these foils could be end up being worth more than the forty dollars price of admission. Yeah, risk risk right. re reward. I think the the risk is more than it's worth to spec on it for the reward potential personally but yeah i think there it's definitely possible good points good points all right so the ninth and final drop is time trouble two and this is kind of a revisitation of previous retro frame totally effed up templating planeswalkers that they've been offering up here and there they gave us karn the great creator and teferi time raveler at one point and only gave us the non-foils we've talked about how that felt strategic but apparently they've given up on that strategy because now they're giving us foils or non-foils and it's narset parter of veils in 80,000 decks edh rec also sees uh blue white control play in pioneer modern and and further back uh, Nissa, who shakes the world, thirty-six thousand EDH wreck, and then Tezzeret, Ancient of Bolas, that doesn't see a ton of play, but certainly will see play in the Urza Lord High Artificer decks for EDH that are getting built right now. So might be on an upswing. Narset is eleven dollars in Japanese alt art from War of the Spark Japanese uh, boxes. It's three hundred and fifty in foil. There's a little Walker's Narset that just got released in the last few months, so this is one of the recent double taps, and I don't know that those are in hand yet are they uh i don't know i don't okay, think it looks they like are. it hasn't crashed on tcg players so my guess is they are not because oh yeah there's only there's only four copies listed on tcg player they're definitely and those are pre-order right yeah, yeah it's showing yeah, it as pre-order yeah uh that art sucks but some people will be into the chibi art the old border art is very cool 
absolutely convinces me that this was original magic art from 15 years ago. I think they've done a good job there. Uh, I'm not sure. I think a lot of this hinges on the price of the Narset foils. So if I was going to go anywhere on this drop, it would be towards the foils. It's maybe the fifth best drop here or something. So I will probably stay away from it. Wouldn't fault you if you decided to take the risk. Now, as a summary, I think the best way to go here is you focus on the drops with Ulabog and Blightsteel. You get a smattering of the other three that we talked about having potential. That's going to be the uh, Another Story and the Frank uh, Franzetta and the second Transformers drop and maybe throw in a couple of Narset drops and you're probably going to do just fine. Yep. And I mean, going back to Transformers, we've beaten a dead horse here, but being cute um, doesn't win you a lot of points. Oftentimes the obvious is the good answer, and this one is obvious. It has great cards, more value than they've given us in almost any other secret lair. With the normal standard pricing, it's not the premium $50 for a foil. Um, so seems like hard to lose in that one. The rest, I think, are somewhat personal choice. Alrighty. So <laughs> follow up to previous news. People have debated, debated this with me, but they're wrong. Dominaria Remastered was going to be moved back to March. Then they last minute changed their mind and moved it back to its original date, January 13th, 2023, which is now where it sits. And as a result, because they weren't ready, <laughs> they had to announce an emergency preview season, which was today and tomorrow. This is December 6th and December 7th. There's no way that would have happened if this was the original date. Because very close on the heels of this, they're going to have to start reveals on the Phyrexia All Will Be One set, and that has been moved back a week. There's no way all of that happened unless they changed their mind. So let's just get that out of the way. Now, the because of that, they dropped all the mythics from the set on us all today. <laughs> so we've seen everything or the vast majority of relevant mythics anyway, uh, from this set. We're getting we're getting Vampiric Tutor. We're getting Maze of Ith. We're getting Mystic Remora, as you said, at rare. Lotus Blossom at rare. You're getting Yogmoth and Urza. Double tapped from, well now triple tapped. Yogmoth is an MH1 card that caught an old border reprinting and time spiral remastered. They're now going back to that well again, which surprises me, but that was 18 months ago, so it's not that close. Urza Lord High Artificer was an MH1 card that then became an MH2 card, but only in retro, which was only available in the CBs. Now they're going back and doing it again, and they're adding a borderless version of Urza Lord High Artificer. Um, keep in mind that the retro foil Yogmoths are multiple hundreds of dollars. So people stuck holding those are certainly in a bit of a tricky position because it's hard to imagine that it's going to stay as high as it was. And it is uh, an example of, at least on the, you know, I said earlier, they don't go back to the well on unique treatments, but retro doesn't seem to hold that clearly does not hold that protection. Because that's the, the place where they've been willing to go back multiple times. Um, they are, are also offering a borderless version of Yogmoth, which is super sweet. Um, and now I'm curious whether that one's going to injure the retro foils, um, which version modern players will prefer. 
They showed us Sarah Avatar with really sweet art, but that's a bulk card. They showed us World Gorger Dragon, also pretty bulk. Really good art on that. Nut Collector. I didn't even know this card existed. This is six mana for a 1-1 Humid Druid. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may pay... You may create a 1-1 green squirrel creature token, and then if you have threshold, seven cards in the yard, all your squirrels get plus two, plus two, so you're making three threes. They're reprinting No Mercy at Mythic, which is a fantastic EDH card. Hasn't seen a printing in a while. Uh, giving us the first borderless version of that by Ron Spencer, no less. Those will be very popular. Lyra Dawnbringer was a very predictable reprint from the Dominaria set. Uh, first time in borderless here. New art by Donato Giancola, who's famous for doing angels in magic sets, so that's a pretty big deal. And Legacy Weapon is getting a reprint. Pretty excellent in five-color decks in EDH, because it's seven to drop on the table, but then for every five, you exile any permanent. So they have to kind of deal with it right away. Um, Getting a borderless treatment as well. Last Chance is another mythic. First time in borderless. Kamal, Fist of Krosa, had very expensive foils heading into this, but this looks like a bulk card to me. Hunting Grounds, also likely to be mostly bulk. Gauntlet of Power was last seen in Time Spiral Remastered, and they're double-tapping it again here. Surprises me a little, because I think they could have picked something else, like you've been saying. But they're giving us the first borderless version this time. And then, in terms of rares, they showed us Denizen of the Deep, Royal Assassin, Shivan Dragon and a whole bunch of other stuff that didn't seem particularly financially relevant. Anything else jump out at you that I missed? Uh, let me see right through my list. High Tide first. Uh, I mean, it's it's got yep. a decent number that's of EDH, a good and that's a first-time foil. Um, mm-hmm. Gauntlet, okay, another double-tab. Gauntlet of Power is a mythic, which nope, was... I, yeah, I covered that did one. You, so I bring it up because it is another double-tap from Time Spiral Remastered. So not only is it double-tap, but they took... The, one of the mythics from the first reprint set and put it into the second reprint set. Just, <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's see. So, and then speaking of double taps, the, the fact that um, they basically repeated commander collection green here with Sylvan library um, combined with the tutor is, you know, another double tap example. What else? Elvis spear guide was another uh, double tap of the secret layer foil that was a first time foil recently in the last six months i want to say um other and, and then yeah i think the, you hit the the major ones but you know just right in that theme of the double tap it is unfortunate i don't actually see anything that is double tapped in any kind of un, unreasonable time frame most of these things are a year and a half to two years out from their last printing which is entirely reasonable. Even the Commander Collection green stuff is two years old. So, and and Sylvan yes. Library and Worldly Tutor are such S-tier staples for, for Commander that to give it to us every two years should be expected. Right. I, any one of them on their own, it's when you combine them together and you combine it with the, you know, the fact that, you like you said, we're going to move on to previous season again in a week or two, <laughs> whatever it is. The, the Dark Depths has a really nice borderless version, but I wish the art had been shifted just up a little bit so that you saw got a better sense of the mar- the monster lurking below the waves. Yeah. Did you mention Gemstone Caverns? That was a ladder release today. Mm, no, 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 not Gemstone Caverns. Gemstone Mine. Uh, Gemstone Mine, yes. yes Significantly worse. Um, and not Still a Still $30 tap. plus, dollars, right? Uh, Gemstone Mine? 
Maybe I looked up Gemstone Cavern too. No, I don't think so. Other people thought it was Cavern. No, that's like a Gemstone Mine is like a six dollar card oh, Judge Promo yeah. seventy five. Yeah, good call, good call. But the Judge Promo seventy five, so the the Borderless Foil here might hold some value. Exploration getting a reprint here uh, at rare. Savine's Reclamation at rare. Uh, Entomb at rare, solid rare. Yep. We mentioned all the tutors. Uh, I, I guess I said that the I, I insinuated that the tutors were mythic, but the tutors are rares, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, they're all rares. Um, so that's pretty good to be able to pull vampiric, worldly, or mystical in your rare slot. Um, all pretty good options. You said the high tide. We got a chainer reprint, including a borderless option. Oversold yeah, a cemetery. Bunch of stuff. Oversold cemetery. Uh, is probably an underplayed card in EDH that we'll see more play with more of them available. I mean, every as long as you have four creature cards in your yard, you get to bring one back to your hand every upkeep. Very, very solid. Urza's Incubator, including a borderless version at Mythic. Sylvan Library, as you mentioned, should not be underestimated. That's a really... Yeah, sure, it was in the Commander Collection Green, but the Commander Collection Green version has held the price of... Eternal Masters copies are 45, Commander Collection Green is 43, and the foils are 65. So from Wizards' mm. perspective, they see a card that's sitting at 40 to 65 in the last version they printed. That's fair game. If it knocks things down by $20, that's still a very good pull. And, you know, before that, it was Eternal Masters, and before that, it was Commander's Arsenal, and before that, it was 5th edition. So it's not a card that's been overprinted. This is a very, given that this card's been around since the beginning... This is a very reasonable set of printings over over the time period in question. Uh, Test of Endurance, uh, going to go straight in. The borderless version is going to go straight into my Aloro deck, but is not very. It's going to be bulk for most everybody else. Uh, and Force of Will was the original reveal from months ago. So right. between all the tutors, Force of Will, Sylvan Library, the Incubator, Arborea, Fancy Birds of Par- Paradise. Time stretches in here, Tatiova, Sneak Attack, Swords to Plowshares. This is a very good set. No matter what they show us tomorrow, the set is already good. Yeah, real curious on pricing because uh, this is one of the few things Amazon hasn't had in stock since they put up a very small quantity very early on and then sold out and hasn't really reposted since. So not not sure. I know you've been doing some kind of back back channel things on this with group buys. Any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, our group buys tend to beat Amazon. So I would imagine like our group buy was fifteen fifty nine, if I'm not mistaken. Six for cases boxes. CBs for cases of CBs. So that's two sixty US per CB. So I would be surprised if you see anyone in the market more than twenty or thirty dollars below that in the near to midterm. And then if they have trouble selling the product, all bets are off. Like any CB that doesn't sell well these days could be very cheap three to six months down the road. Just depends Just depends on how much they print. They did it, They did admit on stream that there was more of this than there was with Time Spiral Remastered. So I think we can probably assume that the print run is somewhere between TSR and, say, MH2, which had a very high print run. It's probably a medium print run. Because I've heard that there are vendors having... Some of the vendors I talked to that are smaller had trouble getting allocation. Like they're, they've been told by their distributor that they're not going to get everything they asked for here. Um, and with these reveals today, you know, all the different goodies that are included, I would imagine that 
in the context of the broader market picture where we're in the middle of a recession, there's people angry at Watsi and whatever, get the max potential for a set like this, given all of that, that's about where we're at. <laughs> However much right. that stuff is pushing this down, it's going to come up and meet that that floor because it's good. Like anybody who was worried there wouldn't be good stuff in here, they, they were wrong. There's tons of good stuff in here. Yeah. So that looks good from a value standpoint. Um, and I'll be curious to see if they put out, you know, a lot of good things tomorrow or if they're really front loaded. But either way, a lot of the tutors alone provide a good cycle to, you know, give you insulated value. The mythics are solid. You have a really, you know, high end card with force of will, which will stay. I mean, I think last time it dropped to non foil to like 65. I think that's probably what we'll see here, uh, which is obviously a big drop from its peaks, but um, still a ton of value. And we'll see if the premium versions there hold up compared to the others. But a um, lot, lot here, and we'll see more. But either way, I think it's, it's looking to be a good set. All right, so we'll, uh, we'll have the rest of that information out tomorrow. So we will talk to that next week. And I guess that's a wrap. Where can folks find you online? Sure. Folks can find me online at Oko Assassin on Twitter. How about you, James? Where are you going to find you online? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTGCritic as well as via my occasional articles for mtgprice.com. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that would drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Certainly if you're looking to get collector boosters of Dominaria Remastered now would be a good time since I think we're closing down our group buy on that within the week. Well, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic Gathering singles, sale product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use promo code FINANCEFIME during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% on your order and to support this podcast. That brings us to the end of this episode. As always, James, enjoyed our discussion. Thank you, Derek, and we'll see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.